Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of your life, personal, spiritual and professional. We seek to do this through the Catholic Women's Masterclass, our one-on-one Catholic coaching for women, as well as our other online resources and courses. If you would like to learn more about any of these initiatives, you can visit our website, www www.geniusproject.co or come and join us on Instagram that's where I spend a lot of time genius underscore project underscore daily or you can watch the live recordings of these on our Genius Project YouTube channel just make sure you go and hit subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. Well ladies on this week's episode of the podcast I am joined by Layla from Learning to Mum podcast. Layla's a beautiful young woman who I connected with recently and she has a very powerful story story to share how she overcame shame in her life through some of the choices that she made and how the Lord has been able to redeem and restore her and not only redeem and restore her but how she is now using that experience to serve and contribute to the lives of others. So ladies I hope and pray that you enjoy this conversation with Layla. Well Layla welcome to the Genius Podcast. I love your name because that's my niece's name and it's so lovely to have you joining us. I know you reached out on Instagram a little while ago and it's funny because I had actually been following you just prior to you reaching out thinking, oh, she would be lovely to have as a guest on the podcast. <laughs> and then and then Aww. you made a comment just sort of affirming the Genius podcast and what I'm doing and, and hence the connection. And here you are. So welcome. Thank you so much. I am so excited and so grateful to be here. Been a long time fan of the Genius podcast. So it's so surreal to be like getting to chat with you today. Oh, well, look, thank you. You have your own podcast, which is going really well. Can you share a little bit about that for a moment? Yes, I would love to. So I'm sure we'll kind of get into my story, Karen. But um, essentially, I have a pregnancy and birth podcast for first-time moms that really informs first-time pregnant women on pregnancy and birth so that they can be empowered and informed without feeling overwhelmed. Um. And really that came from a place because I was the first of my friends to go through pregnancy and become a mom. And there was so many, there's so many, you know, podcasts, YouTubes, and even mom influencers, if you will, out there. And yet I was really struggling to find one that I really connected with because so often or it's so prevalent in today's world where there's just so much like partner bashing and so much complaining about motherhood. And so many of these accounts, I think, really give into that for the sake of virality instead of really equipping and empowering women to see like motherhood is a huge gift and we are able to do it. So I really focused on equipping women with the tools that they need rather than just being like, oh, motherhood is hard and it's totally unfair. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I love So it's been so great. Um, And I've gotten to meet so many incredible women. You can totally see that the Lord's hand is in it. So it's just been so exciting. Yeah, beautiful. Well, we will get into that because I'd love to go a little deeper with that content. But you're a Catholic convert, which I always find, I I always love to hear people's stories. Like, how did you actually come into the Catholic faith? My mum's actually Anglican. My dad was Catholic. So we grew up with a very ecumenical kind of view Mm -hmm. on faith. My dad actually owned a Christian bookshop from the time I was 10 until I was maybe 27. And so we would go to a lot of different churches and he would run different book tables. So I grew up sort of under that 
ecumenical, yeah. that spirit of unity, really. Um, but I'm always interested in a Catholic convert story because the Catholic Church gets such a bad rapping culture. And I'm interested in how people kind of come into it. I see a lot of people leaving it, but I love those yeah. stories of how the Lord draws people to himself. So would you share a little bit about your Catholic convert story? Well, absolutely. It. it is probably my favorite story to share. Um, so I grew up in a really devout Protestant home and I am really, really so very grateful for my parents, how they educated me, how I was formed in my Protestant faith and upbringing. My church really was wonderful. And the church that I grew up in um, was non-denominational, which is, we can get into the irony there, (laughs) but um, it really did try its best to be what they believed was what the early church would have been. Mm -hmm. Um, or like followed the example of the early church, if you will. And I ended up going to a Catholic high school and I remember praying on my hands and knees (laughs) before I went into this high school. Lord, please do not let me conform to these Catholics, but help me, (laughs) help me convert every one of them. And I left senior year You left the unconverted. I love it. So did you have your conversion through high school? I did. I did. Okay. So share a little bit more about such like just the grace of the Lord for sure. Um, so yes, I entered in high school as a sweet, what are, what are you 14 here in the States, you know, convinced that I was going to bring everyone in that. I was (laughs) faculty, the principal, (laughs) you name it. And very, very quickly, I realized I just started to learn that what I had thought Catholicism was and what I thought the Catholic Church taught was not the case at all. Um, I think the first thing that really rocked my world was understanding that like Martin Luther, just kind of understanding church history on a much deeper level, like, oh, Protestantism didn't exist until Martin Luther. Oh, and like, oh, Martin Luther still had a relationship with Mary, even after all that, like, well, then when did Mary leave? And very slowly, all just these misconceptions kind of fell. And I would come home, sit, you know, sit with my parents at the dinner table and be like, guess what I learned today? They don't worship the Pope or, you know, they (laughs) don't really worship Mary. Um, And then like, you know, of course the Eucharist was such a huge, Mm -hmm. a huge component as well. But so while I was learning all of these things, there also was a big change in my heart getting to really see Catholics my age that were walking the walk mm-hmm. as opposed, like I grew up thinking Catholics don't have real relationships with the God. They're not real Christians, all these things, you know, they're just checking boxes off. They don't know anything, all these things. And so it was really the first time in my life that I was surrounded by people who love Jesus and who were Catholic. So I got to see both of those things. Like there was a huge change in my heart from what I was witnessing, how I was witnessing them live their lives. And then I was also getting to understand and be really well catechized, honestly, um, through this high school. And it led to the Lord very clearly calling me to convert so much so that I was like, I'm not, I'm not about this. I don't want to do this Lord. And it was my plan to convert once I got to college, I was had already committed to play collegiate soccer about eight hours away from home. And so I was like, I'm going to convert when I'm at university because then I can just slowly fall off the face of the earth. I don't have to have, <laughs> no, have no. really hard conversations with 
my Protestant youth pastors, my Protestant pastors, my Protestant friends. I can just lose touch with everybody. Um, and it really brought that plan. The Lord really brought me to my knees. Um, it would have been yeah early in senior year when it became so clear to me that I was being disobedient because it was like his call for me to convert was that clear that I felt so much like Jonah in the whale of like, no, thanks, Lord. I know you're calling me to do this, but I'm actually going to just like run the other way. I'm going to do my thing first. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'll do it on my time, on my terms. Thanks so much though. And it really brought me to like, I don't know when I'm going to die and I cannot act in a, I cannot die in an act of disobedience. Mm. So then the next day I went and signed up for RCIA. <laughs> the, and the rest day. is history. Yeah, it was. Oh, and then by how did your also the grace. Take it? So at the beginning, um, and they obviously weren't pleased. Mm-hmm. And my dad tried really, really hard to get me to talk to like our Protestant pastor or people that had converted to Protestantism from Catholicism. And I was just not about that. I knew what the truth was, and I also knew that me as a 17-year-old female did not have the ability to defend and like, you know, just recite scripture and recite the catechism when someone in their fifties, who's been in Protestant church ministry their whole life could, you know? So I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, but I don't think my parents were very surprised because I did spend the last four years coming home to the dinner table and being like, Oh my gosh, can you believe this? (laughs) Yes. But um, by the grace of the Lord, my parents ended up converting the year after me. Are you serious? So oh, that's I'm dead serious. That is so funny it's, that you went in to convert the school. It's been school. so great. Uh, that's fantastic. It's been so, so great. So yeah. I converted in the spring of 2016 and my parents okay. came in Easter, Easter vigil of the oh. following year. And I mean, that's just been so exciting. My siblings are still Protestant. Um, Hopefully one day they will come into the so Holy Catholic Church. But um, yeah, it's just been absolutely the best blessing. And now I'm... I am a wife and a mother and I get to raise a cradle Catholic and my parents and I constantly look at each other and is like, can you believe where she's going to be? She's a cradle Catholic. (laughs) Can you believe you just got our bath? That's amazing. What a brilliant story. I love that. And you have two children. Do you now? I only have one. Yes. I only have one. She's a year and a half right now, but um, yeah, it's been a whirlwind. Wow. That's praise God. Isn't it amazing how he has us on a journey? So gentle, just that gentle introduction. Absolutely. So shout out, what was the Catholic school you went to? (laughs) We better do a shout out. (laughs) Garen Catholic High School in Noblesville, Indiana. Um, I I love that place. And now I'm really blessed. I get to sit on a board. That's kind of its mission is keeping Garen Catholic Catholic, um, which is, of course, really near and dear to my heart, because I think at least in the States, it's kind of popular to just be a Catholic high school in name. A hundred percent. Yeah. So my husband, I shared a little bit before we hit record, he does a lot of Catholic teacher formation and he's over in the United States speaking and forming the teachers and the stark contrast between doing that in America and in Australia is oceans apart, quite literally oceans apart, because I think you're not tied over there to government funding. So the schools actually Mm. can be authentically Catholic. In Australia, they're linked to government funding and so they're under 
obligation to, I guess, conform to the national curriculum and, and some of those legislative requirements. So that's why we love coming to the United States, because there is this freedom to be authentically Catholic. And the schools that Jonathan works with, that is 100% the case. And it's so encouraging, so refreshing. So hats mm. off to your school for the great work they do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wonderful. And it's crazy. I think back, you know, and it really was my high school that kind of sealed the deal. But when you're able to really step back and look at your sure. story as, as a whole, you see just like how many seeds had been planted outside yeah. of that experience or outside of those four years. And I think I take that into my perspective today of how I evangelize, um, especially since all of my friends from growing up, all Protestant. And, you know, most of the people that I interact with are Protestant. And I think I take that into my, into my life today. And I just, con you know, constantly have to remind myself that like, it's not my job to convert someone. And of course I am so passionate. I'm like, I want you to be Catholic so badly because it's the best thing in the world. Um, and I really have to remind myself that like, it's not on us. That's that the Holy spirit is who is going to convict them and who is going to bring them into the church. It's just my job to plant seeds, yes. like plant as many seeds as you can as naturally as possible. Right. Um, and so I, you know, kind of look back and like, yes, it was really those four years, but there had been seeds planted years prior by my mom's friend or a neighbor or a teammate, you know, um, mm -hmm. that I think just slowly softened my heart. So that way I would be in a much better place to accept and understand those truths when they were presented to me at a time that I was able to understand them. Mm, and I think you pick up on something really important there about just sowing seeds that so often it's our relationships with people or the conversations, or it could even be in a grocery store line where you're just honoring the dignity of another and you have, yeah. you never know the fruit or the impact of those, those words, those conversations, those smiles, those acts of kindness on the heart and soul of another person. And I think as Catholic women, we should always be on the lookout and on high alert for opportunities to, to sow those seeds and to bring that gift to bring Christ um, to everybody that we meet in some small way, whether it's overtly or, you know, just very subtly in terms of how we meet people where they're at. So beautiful. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's a really great way to put it. Well, Layla, tell me, you shared a little bit about your podcast and I'd love to dive into this area because whether it's in motherhood or whether it's a career transition, sometimes the the things that we work towards or the things that we want, when we get them, sometimes they're not in reality what we thought they might be before. So motherhood seemed to be that for you. You thought, and then you struggled a little bit, didn't you, when you were first either pregnant or having your child. And I think yeah. that's a, it's a common experience. And I do want to make this conversation a little bit broader. We'll use motherhood as our example, but in terms of careers or whether it's someone who wants to be married, who's still single, or whether it's someone who desperately wants to be married and then they marry and that's not working out, we can apply that to a whole lot of different circumstances. But I'm interested in your experience of just moving into motherhood, into a new season of life and not being prepared or equipped for that season. Can you share a little bit about that journey and then what happened when you got there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, I have to kind of take everybody back a few steps. So you just heard this like pretty cool, unique conversion story of mine, which I absolutely love. And I have loved being Catholic. Um, 
but that's not to say that I'm not perfect or that I am perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. I am not. Um, and essentially, um, my boyfriend and I got pregnant when we were dating and I really, really struggled. Right. I was this, I was really involved in my own youth ministry, like Bible study leader. It was an accident happened, went to confession, sobbed my eyes out, vowed never again. And I got a positive pregnancy test. Um, and I, I mean, there was just so much in that. Like mm-hmm. I was kind of off the deep end. I was like, my life is ruined. I am, you know, people are going to judge me. My reputation is forever changed. But I think what really, really, what really made it difficult for me was two things. One, I never, I never really like desired to be a mom. And I know that sounds really harsh, but I, that's truly just because of the, of what media and what our world has portrayed mother to be or motherhood to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so of course, when I look at that stuff and I'm like, all these women are just complaining about how hard it is and how much it's horrible and how isolating this is, why would I ever want that? Um, so I just was not, I was not really thrilled. And then the other, of course, being like, I just felt and experienced so much shame. So I really, really struggled. Um, but now being on this side of things, I really like to say that just the Lord knew exactly what he was doing and that I probably would have put off motherhood for a very, very, very long time, not knowing what I was missing out on. And it's truly like, I'm now just the happiest, the most fulfilled, the most at peace than I have ever been. And I never thought this was really possible, but really the Lord allowed that failure. He has redeemed it and he has redeemed just so much. And I'm sure there's so much redemption that I'm not even like aware of. I can probably only see like 5% of the Mm -hmm. picture and I'm still blown away with like this 5%. Um, And so I just really think that he has he allowed, he redeemed that to allow me to like experience motherhood when I really thought that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be for me. I was like, no, thanks. I'm fine. And he's like, no, you are going to be a mom. <laughs> and then I, and then I became a mom. I was like, oh wait, you really know what you're doing, Lord. <laughs> yeah. You re- like, this is awesome. Um, because it just in pregnancy, you know, I just struggled so much and I, but even then there was so much goodness and so much that I learned. Like one, I, grew really close with Mary, which was really beautiful because I mean, that's something that I, I, I honestly never even had really a relationship with her. Yeah. Um, because well, that's not a, in the right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then even since I converted though, I never was, I was just kind of like, eh, she's cool. I understand it, but like, yeah. I'm fine. I'll just stick with Jesus and a few of like these saints. Um, but Mary really, I mean, she knows a thing or two about being a mom, perhaps before you feel really ready for it. Mm-hmm. And so I clung to her and that was huge, like a, a cool little blessing that I didn't really foresee coming. And then I also just learned so much about God's grace. And one of my biggest takeaways, if you will, about God's grace that I learned when I was really in the trenches Um, so I experienced prenatal depression, which is something that impacts one in seven women. And it's essentially just doesn't get any focus because I think mostly we focus on like postpartum depression, but one in seven women experience depression during pregnancy. And I didn't even know that was a thing until one of my podcast episodes. And I was like, oh my gosh, wait, I had that. (laughs) I didn't know. Uh, I Um, didn't know at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But he, what I really learned about his grace 
and that verse that just kept coming to mind. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the reference, but it's um, my grace is sufficient for you. And what I really learned was like, he's going to give you enough grace, although he can, he can do whatever he wants. He can give you enough grace to last that whole mountaintop or that whole mountain, or he can just give you a little by little. And in my case, he definitely gave me a little by little. Like I knew that his grace was going to sustain me and that his grace could get me through, but he was only going to give me enough to get through that day. And then I'd have to wake up and choose him and be able to be like, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I really don't, but you're going to have to help me. And he would give me just enough grace to get through that day. And then I was going to have to trust him the next morning that he was going to give me enough grace to get through that one as well. Yeah. That's extraordinary, Layla. What a story. And and I think what you said there is just how God can redeem anything. But I'd love to go back because the experience of shame that you would have felt having had a conversion and then obviously making that decision and, and finding out that you were pregnant, I can't even imagine that would have been so overwhelming for you. What what was your mm-hmm. parents' reaction, your boyfriend's reaction? How did you navigate that initial couple of weeks? Um, with a lot of tears. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> and yeah. essentially, I think my prayers were really just my tears coming out. Um, yeah. But I mean, I was really blessed. My, my boyfriend, now my husband, he was... I mean, we both were very surprised, but he really was like, this is a blessing and this is a miracle. And so many people pray for this. So like, you know, this life is meant to be. And he just continued to remind me of these truths that I really needed to hear. So that was a huge blessing. And so we, we, we even got married, um, two months before she was born. So I was seven months pregnant on my wedding day, (laughs) kind of insane. Um, but I'm so thankful. And then my parents, um, I think at first it was pretty hard. I mean, I don't think any parent really loves to hear that their young daughter is pregnant outside of wedlock. Um, but I am really, really blessed that, you know, they're pro-life and that was never, ever suggested, offered. That was just not even discussed. Like, of course this baby is going to live. Um, and there were, I think after the initial shock, it was very much like, here we go, we're in this and this is a life and we're going to celebrate it. Sure, it's not the way that God intended, but oh, well, here we are. Mm. So I was really, really fortunate with a great support system. And I know I'm sure that people were talking behind my back. And I think that was something too, that I just had to learn to like, let go, you know? Yeah. I think that that experience of shame is interesting, isn't it? Because it can keep us, like it can lock us up. Yeah. Like that. And it can cast us into our own interior prison, really, where we don't continue walking in the things of God. And whether it's a decision like you've made, but all of us make decisions, right? We're all sinners. We all fall. And we all sometimes make some really big decisions that don't lead necessarily to what we would have originally chosen or what might be in God's plan. Can you speak into that experience for a little moment of shame and how women who may be living in shame at the moment can move beyond that despite choices Mm -hmm. that might not be in keeping with God's plan but how women God will restore and redeem anything right and he doesn't even though we've made poor choices he never wants us to live in shame that's not his will that's Satan's will because Satan loves yeah. to keep us contained under lies and oppression and a spirit of you're not good enough, not worthy because you've made poor choices. God never calls us that way. He might convict us of our sin or our choices, but then he always forgives and wants to redeem and restore. So can you share a little bit about wisdom that you learned from your experience around shame and how women can move beyond that? Yeah, man, that is heavy. 
And I just hope that like the Holy Spirit will give me the right words to say. Um, I think one, go to confession. There is just so many graces within confession that is, you know, designed to help us and strengthen us and support us. So I would really just be like, run, run to confession. And also like there, you need to give yourself grace that it's not going to look linear. Like you could do really well for a day or two and then have an absolute breakdown and not come out of your house for a week and then have another maybe three three good days and then be in your house not willing to go to the grocery store even because you're so ashamed and you don't want people to see you and um so i think just you know one go to confession and then two know that it's not linear give yourself grace um and three i'm not really sure <laughs> Three. Right. Yeah. I really think that like think talking to people as well. Like I think that that's such yeah. an important one because Satan thrives, shame thrives on silence and isolation. Yeah. And so I think Satan convinces us that we're bad. That's what shame is, that we're bad. Whereas when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something that we've done wrong, where we've sinned, it's about convicting us to store relationships with Christ, but Satan wants to, wants to make sure we never have that relationship with Christ. So he keeps us thinking we're unworthy, that we're no good, that we're bad at our core, uh, that we can't recover from poor choices or mistakes that we've made. So I think bringing things into the light, I really believe is key in overcoming shame and stepping out beyond that. So finding someone who you can trust, like a spiritual mentor or a priest or a good friend, someone who can hold that sacred space because we don't want to just bear our dirty laundry to everybody and anybody. We have to choose, you know, we have to be prudent about who we choose to share our inner life with and those deeper things in our heart. But I I really think that reaching out and and bringing things into the light is key as well. But Yeah. 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 And I think on that, it is, right, it's so easy to lock yourself up and to isolate yourself because that is what Satan is wanting us to do. Um, So I say this, and I don't want anyone to hear this and use it as an excuse to lock themselves up. But I do think that onto what you said about being prudent and being wise and who you reach out to, make sure that it's people that really will support you and not, I mean, there are people who, yeah, and there are, there are people who are not kind um, and who maybe have never gone through something that you're going through and just maybe don't have like the wisdom or the insight or the heart to take you in and support you and be there for you that you need. So I think that like, if there is someone that is going to judge you, even if it's your mom or even if it's your sister and that like should be your person, then I would just kind of encourage you to choose someone else. Especially when you're bringing your heart and being really vulnerable for those first few times. So important. Yeah, I love what you said about running to confession and whether it's, you know, a a big thing that's happened or a little thing like yelling at your children. But I think uh, the sacrament of reconciliation is such an underutilized sacrament. And there's such power and there's such grace that comes when we come before the Lord in that sacrament in terms of forgiveness. And, And I would encourage people that 
no matter what it is, we all carry things in our life, right? That we're ashamed of, or we're not proud of, or where we're a work in progress still, but to continually just keep showing up and keep bringing it to the light and keep bringing it to confession and to the priest to receive that grace in the sacrament is so powerful. And I just really want to encourage women to, to make it a real priority to get to regular confession. Uh, It's such a beautiful example too, for our children and, and those around us as well. Yeah. And I think once you're at a place to start sharing your testimony, then I really would encourage you to, because I remember getting to a place where I was like, this isn't so tender. This isn't so raw anymore. I can speak about this without crying. And I remember wanting to change it and wanting to not really open up or even like share it. Not because I was afraid. Well, no, because I was afraid. Like I mostly was to want to change your story and I'll, you know, paint it in a different light, paint it in maybe a prettier light or a different light. Like, you know, now I could just be like, yeah, I'm a Catholic convert and I'm a wife and a mom. And yes, that's pretty. And that puts me in a really great light. But then I think I'm, I am taking away the, what God wants, like God wants to use my story to speak to other women. Because I remember when I was pregnant and really, really struggling. And I just continue to think of like the three women that I know that got pregnant out of wedlock and being like, if they can do it, then I can do it. Like, I'm not the first one to go through this. So I think it's really important to take ownership of our story, no matter what it is, even if it's a super small thing. And, you know, you just, it was a super small sin because I think Satan, he he doesn't want us to share our stories mm-hmm. because we are empowered and we are inspired by other people's stories. So if we're silent because he tells us, you know, that's really embarrassing. You shouldn't be saying that. Or he could tell us, hey, actually your story is really lame. Yes. And like people yes. are not going not to be inspired in by story. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, then you're not going to share and people aren't going to be inspired to love the Lord more or to follow him more. So I really just do encourage you to take ownership of your story mm-hmm. and share that when you are at a place where it's not so like tender and raw. Yeah. And I think that point is really very, very important that I often say that it's not ready to be shared until it's been healed. And mm. we, we don't want to share from the place of going through a really difficult time. I think that lacks prudence. It leaves you too exposed and too vulnerable. Um, so I think it's really important that you allow that time, like you said, where it's not as tender um, yeah. before you're sharing. And I also love the point that you make about owning your story, that every single person is unique and unrepeatable. And so every one of us has a story to tell, which is could be a gift for somebody else. And I think it's so important if we see our stories and our lives in that light and our journey in that light, then we realize that our journey wasn't all about us and us making mistakes and us being ashamed, but about how God's going to redeem and restore us so that, yes, we can be healed, but so that we can offer that as a gift to other people and contribute to their life and bring glory to him. And I think that's so, so important. I know exactly what you're saying. The women in my life who have showed me the way we had six years of infertility and the women who shared that experience were the ones that I looked to as really my anchors as I walked through those six years yeah. of despair, especially towards the end. And um, they were so important. 
in my life. So I 100% agree with uh, what you're saying and really want to highlight that for women. So Leila, I'm wondering if we can go back a little bit now and have a look at some of the work that you're doing. You do a podcast around motherhood and, and some of the work that you're doing is really around, well, essentially it's about elevating motherhood to its rightful place, reverencing motherhood as an incredible vocation and elevating the dignity of motherhood. There's so much in our culture that seeks to tear down, destroy the value and the dignity and the sacredness of motherhood. We've got so much in our culture where people aren't even being allowed to be called mothers. And I think this is so important. Our language is crucial around Mm -hmm. how we describe ourselves, our role in life. So language from women and mothers, that's really important, but that I am a mother or this is a beautiful vocation and the way that we speak about motherhood as women um, I guess you shared your experience that a lot of women really denigrated that job that sort of life was over it was depressing it was isolating but it actually doesn't have to be that way and our language is incredibly important so can you share with us a little bit about I guess how you jumped into that obviously from your experience but what you're doing now and I guess some pearls of wisdom have for women well um So I really wanted to create the podcast for women that I wish I could have had in my pregnancy. So one, there was a few differentiators. One that was going to be really timely. So season one is all about pregnancy and birth. Season two will be about baby's first year of life. Season three will be be about baby's second year of life, so on and so forth. Because what I was finding is that, you know, some things out there would be like one episode being about how to handle pain and labor and the next episode being how to hand how to increase your toddler's vocabulary and it just didn't serve me like where I was so I just wanted to create something that was really going to be timely the second thing was that I wanted there to be a seat at the table for everyone first time moms we don't know what we're wanting so I wanted someone to come on and talk about c-sections and then come on and talk about home births um that way first time moms can actually have all of the information rather than being like oh this is super holistic or this is just like really super pro-medicine, pro-traditional medicine, yada, yada, yada. And then the third thing, which is really my main tenant, is that it's positive and empowering because like what we have already discussed is that there's just so much out there that really degrades motherhood. And no wonder, no wonder I didn't want to be a mom and so many of my friends don't want to be a mom because that's what they're seeing. They're seeing why, like we are truly terrible. We are scaring women from wanting to be mothers and Satan is rejoicing. He is loving this because, you know, oh great. If I can make women delay it until perhaps they will have too many issues, they will have fertility issues. Or if I can just take away that entirely, that desire from them entirely, then that's a win. I mean, Satan just, yeah, yeah, that is a great point. Yes. And so my content, you will never find complaining about motherhood. You will never find partner bashing. That is not to say though, that we just, it's, I think toxic positivity is dangerous as well. So we acknowledge the hard, but rather than sitting here and being like, yeah, I feel so isolated. This totally stinks. Every, you know, men have it so much easier because they don't have to be the ones to carry around the baby for nine months, yada, yada, yada. Instead, I'm like, you know, this is hard. It is isolating. And here are 10 ways to help. And here are, you know, 10 things that you can do to 
get you out of your funk or here are 10 foods to eat when you're throwing up in the toilet, because I know that's hard. I'm not negating the fact that it's hard, but instead I'm empowering and educating you to overcome it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because yeah, I think just there is so much horribleness on how, how motherhood, yeah, you have to change yourself. You're going to lose yourself. You're going to lose your body. And we are obsessed with that, especially here in the States. I don't know what the culture is like in Australia, but like, yeah, you, do you really want that? You're, you're not going to look the same ever again and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think some short wisdom for anyone who is really struggling with just how difficult it is to be a joyful mom in today's world. I really want to encourage you to unfollow every single one of those accounts that are just like viral mom, relatable mom contents or accounts, relatable mom accounts. I am looking at you because they are never helpful. They really only complain about motherhood and talk about how their husband stinks. And when you like are going through reels on your phone or watching YouTube shorts or you name it, and that's the kind of content that we're consuming, then you are left. You're left way more bitter. You're left feeling crummier and just like angrier, not only at the world, but also at your partner who has done absolutely nothing. But you're just like, this is so unfair and this is horrible and I'm going to take it out on, on you and the kids. So truly though, unfollow them. They are not serving you. And that's all I have to say. (laughs) Still have to say about that. Thanks for coming. Hundred <laughs> percent. I, I agree with you because what we see and hear affects us, and we have to stand mm-hmm. guard. Like the Bible talks about, be renewed by the transformation of our mind, and we, we're called to be good stewards over our minds and our bodies and our soul, and what we see, what we listen to, who we keep company with. All of this affects us at a subconscious level. We might think it doesn't, but it actually. Yeah, powerfully shapes our attitudes. And similar to you, my experience growing up, especially also during those years of infertility, but prior to getting married, I would go and help out some families that were young mums. And there was just washing everywhere. Like it was piled high. Their houses were a chaotic mess. They didn't pull the blinds until like after lunch, breakfast bowls. There was three families that I was think- I'm thinking of and I would go over there and I was like, oh, this is depressing. Like being a mum's depressing. Like, I'm, mm. I'm, you know, and that really formed my view of what stay-at-home mums looked like. And I think when I did have my children, I just, I made a really deliberate attempt to get up every morning, no matter how tired I was and make my bed and open all the blinds and have candles and just create an atmosphere like with music and worship music in the home that made it feel like a nourishing, joyful place Mm, to be. We still do that now. And that's a theme that's carried through because we have power as women, like we are the guardians of our homes and our environments. And so even if you feel like you're in a funk, there's still many things that you can do to change the atmosphere around you which can help I often put on music yeah that helps massively just putting on some good music and it lifts yes that heavy kind of vibe that's in a home sometimes but yeah I think that's so important about and I really want to encourage women how to how can you cultivate a spirit of joy? And even if you don't have children yet, but in your home, in your workplace, in your car, like when you're in the bathroom, like how can you cultivate a spirit of joy and and peace and a connection with Christ in all that we do? I think it's so important because we're living in such a toxic world that is so negative on so many fronts, whether it's the world news or whether it's talking about motherhood, it's very negative, very heavy. But as women, we're stewards over 
our environment. So there's lots that we can do to lift that and elevate that environment. And that changes, I guess, how we show up more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I have a, I play every morning, this playlist that I titled coffee and Jesus. And it's just my favorite, like nice little worship music, kind of acoustic stuff. And I just really hope like that, that is what sets the tone, right? My baby is a year and a half. So like, she doesn't really, she doesn't know what's going on. Right. But I have like, it makes a difference in me yes, and how I start the day and how I parent going forward. Um, so yeah, I think that's really great. And I, what I didn't mention about my podcast is that it's not blatantly Catholic, which is why I've loved our conversation today, because I just feel like this is the real Layla unfiltered. I get to talk about confession and I get to talk about, you know, how Satan is horrible and like all these things. And you're not going to hear that on my podcast because I kind of take that approach of the seed planting. So I feature um, Catholic guests in the pre in the field of prenatal health um, first and foremost. And then I prioritize Protestant ones and then secular. Um, But I really want to set like Catholic morals and values and just plant seeds that way. And like, I try my best to always say, you know, your husband instead of just like your partner. Um, yeah. And, you know, always motherhood, always women, um, just little things like that, because my podcast isn't for Catholic women, it's for everyone. So I'm, I don't want my pregnancy podcast to turn around or turn away an atheist who needs to learn about pregnancy and birth. I want them to be like, that might lead to their conversion. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. So I'm just planting seeds. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you're doing a great job and it's been so lovely to have this conversation with you. So Layla, if women are interested in your podcast, where can they find what what is it called? Yeah, absolutely. So now that we're nearing the end, Karen, if you are listening to this, I know that you're about to grab your phone and you're about to put on a new song, find a new podcast episode that you're listening to. So while you're reaching for your phone, you might as well just find me at learning to mom. That is the podcast name. If you just type in learning to mom, wherever you're listening to the genius podcast on, I am there. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes and hats Thank off you. to you. And, and I love how God has redeemed your story. And now you're offering that as a gift to the world and to other women as well. So God bless you mm. in all that you do. And it's been such a joy to connect with you. It's been so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Wow. What an incredibly powerful story of the grace of God and how he can take even the most broken parts of our story in our life and redeem and restore them. Ladies, I really want to encourage you this week to make it a priority to go to the sacrament of confession. A few weeks ago, I was speaking at a big youth event and there was a sacrament of reconciliation available and it just so happened that my youngest daughter wanted to go and uh, she wanted me to come up in the line with her and so I ended up in confession and it was one of the most beautiful experiences and I really want to bring that front of mind for you in this week's episode and really encourage you to make it a priority to be getting to regular confession. It's such a powerful sacrament in terms of unburdening our souls from all of the things that we carry, some of the poor choices we make, the sinful patterns that we have in our life because the Lord really does want to redeem and restore you. Ladies, if you would like to go further with this content, can I invite you to check out the Genius Project Catholic Women's Masterclass. We will be opening the doors for a new cohort in just a few weeks. 
And this is an incredibly powerful four-month journey of transformation and renewal, where we walk through how you can establish some disciplines in your life that will really see you living a life of balance and wholeness in Christ. If you would like to know more about this, you can visit the website www.geniusproject.co or you can find more on our Instagram page, genius underscore project underscore daily. You're very welcome to send me a personal email, karen at geniusproject.co. Until next week, ladies, God bless you. Make sure you get to confession and I look forward to you joining me again on the Genius Podcast next week. God bless.